We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. A world already dealing with the coronavirus impact was dealt another body blow in the form of an oil pricing war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Joining The Crisis Next Door to talk about this historic decision is Amy Myers Jaffe, David Rubenstein Senior Fellow for Energy and the Environment with the Council on Foreign Relations. Amy, good to have you back on The Crisis Next Door. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, this was one heck of a blow by Saudi Arabia deciding to hike production. Is this basically Saudi Arabia giving the middle finger to Russia after Russia did not want to back OPEC on production cuts? Well, clearly the Saudi-Russian relationship is on the skids, and it, it's been sort of a slow tick coming because they were cooperating very strongly. You know, the last couple of years, Russia had really uh, uh, bent over backwards as the Saudis were launching their famous um, IPO of their national oil company, Saudi Aramco, and things looked very stable. The coronavirus crisis has really thrown things um, uh, upside down. And we are coming to a very historical, un historically unprecedented situation in the oil market where demand is not only being diminished because of, you know, fears of recession or slowdown to the global economy, but in ways that a lower price will not change it. You know, if the price of jet fuel were to collapse, it's not going to make people go on a plane more. If, if their supply chains are disrupted uh, by trade and the coronavirus, it's not going to make more shipments of goods go anywhere. Um, if people social distance, that's going to lower the need at use for oil. And so those things are not going to change when the price of oil falls, which is what we've seen historically. And I think that Russia and Saudi Arabia not only had a difference of opinion on what the approach to that should be, but they had differences of opinion about what each other had done for each other over the last year geopolitically and who owed who more favors. Both countries heavily depend on oil for their economies. Is Saudi Arabia essentially rolling the dice, thinking that they can handle this and weather this better than Russia can? Well, clearly, Saudi Arabia thinks it's best position to handle this than Russia. And clearly, Russia thinks they're better positioned to handle this than Saudi Arabia. Now, the Russians have been boasting that they have financial reserves put aside for this quote-unquote rainy day. Um, and they also have this benefit 
that when the ruble, their currency collapses, as it already has done in markets in the last, you know, 24 hours, it makes the cost of their drilling for oil lower because they're paying people in rubles. But when they sell the oil to the international market, they're getting back dollars. Um, So that actually helps their industry. They are in a worse position than Saudi Arabia in the following way. We think of all oil producers as being global suppliers. But in the case of Russia, they supply a lot of natural gas to Europe by pipeline. Um, A lot of their oil is sold to Europe. They have one pipeline to China. And uh, so therefore, their sales are very regionalized in terms of their market reach, whereas Saudi Arabia is very global. If demand is low, in, in Italy, they can shift that barrel to someplace else. They can try selling to South America or other places that still have sustained interest or still have, you know, the price is cheap. So people are willing to take it and put it in a, in a tank. Um, Russia has less flexibility. So they absolutely wanted to make sure that they knocked out competition from the United States or from Canada. Whereas the Saudis, I think, originally thought that making a cut could help them and help the overall revenues. But once it fell apart, I think Saudi Arabia decided to go for broke because they have a lot of capacity. Uh, They also have foreign reserves. And I think they felt that um, they could win a price war and gain, you know, permanent market share in the aftermath when the global economy finally recovers. What does this do to the U.S. shale industry, which has just absolutely boomed over the past decade? Well, I think we were already seeing some tremors that maybe the U.S. shale industry was going to slow down. Uh, Let's not forget that the price of natural gas for these producers in the United States had already collapsed to crazy low numbers. And in some cases, in places where there was a lot of natural gas production associated with oil, that means I'm producing the oil and I'm getting the natural gas as sort of a byproduct. Some companies were literally having to pay someone to take the natural gas away and use it because there was just no market for it. So so when we look forward now, the question is going to be, it's going to vary company to company. Some companies do not have, you know, a rainy day padding. They're deep in debt and the market knows that and they are going to have difficulty surviving this downturn. There are other companies that are in better position. Maybe they, um, when we had the uh, early attacks on Saudi Arabia last September, or again when we had the war, the temporary battles with Iran and the oil prices went up uh, this uh, past summer, um, you had companies use the futures market and they locked in a higher price of oil for the year 2020. They literally like sold their production into the futures market or some percentage of it. And therefore, they're going to be less hit uh, than companies that didn't do that. So it's not going to be across the board, the impact right away. And uh, but I do think we're going to see uh, numbers that we had expected for growth from the U.S. for this year are going to come in much lower and uh, and the jury's out. I mean, it depends how low does the price of oil go? How long does it last? Um, we could get to a point where, uh, which is, I think, what Russia is hoping for, that natural gas exports stop. Uh, there's a possibility that they'll see a slowdown in U.S. crude oil exports. And, you know, the question is, what's the long term? 
And we have to consider what's happening to the stock market as a result of this. Do you think that Saudi Arabia factored any of that into this equation, or was Riyadh not concerned about what the stock market would do in response to oil prices cratering as they've had? Well, you know, Saudi Arabia has to weigh that because, like I said, they're a country with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, in foreign reserves that they that backstop their overall economy and their incoming revenue. And, you know, when they're when, you know, their stock, uh, uh, they're, they're owning, you know, Uber and companies like that just the same as everybody else's in the stock market. So uh, they have to concern themselves with the performance of stock markets, not only in their own country, but in New York and in London. Um, so that is definitely a concern for the overall health of the kingdom's financial financial position, you know, long-term financial position. But they also, I think, have to think about strategically – you know, what is best for uh, their long-term outlook? This is a country that has, you know, decades worth of oil under the ground. They need to think about what is the best way to sustain the market for that oil. Uh, this competition with Russia, you know, had an immediate effect. Um, but maybe they think that everybody will come back to the uh, table um, in a more cooperative way in three months, you know, uh, the history has been that Saudi Arabia makes a price war and then everybody freaks out and then all the OPEC members come back and they cut their own production in tandem with Saudi Arabia to get the price back up. So, you know, we, we, we that's why I say, you know, the immediate term looks very negative, but there there are a lot of U.S. companies that if this price war only lasted three months, um, they're going to weather that. And they might not even change their drilling schedule for the time being to see what happens because they've already committed funds. They've already got the equipment there. They've already got the workers. So, you know, the U.S. industry can be resilient and really it's a timeline issue. Um, how long is the price of oil low and uh, what can companies do to position themselves? The resource itself, whether you're talking Texas or Oklahoma or other places, this resource isn't going away. If the price of oil is low this year, but then it went back up, we have a recovery in 2021 and things are better, um, that oil production will come right back online. Uh, you know, it might take a few months to gear back up, get, get people back out into the field and so forth. But ultimately, the resource is there. And unlike the old days where I had a plan for three years and then it took me, you know, seven years to get a new oil field online, with the shale, you know, I decide I'm going to drill, and then three to six months later, I'm drilling and I have the production. So it's a really different world today in terms of the responsiveness, both up and down. Amy, do you think Saudi Arabia is risking its relationship with the U.S.? Riyadh has depended on the U.S. for so long, and <laughs> I got to think that uh, President Trump is not that happy right now watching the stock market take another big dive because of the oil price war. Well, you know, traditionally, a fall in the price of oil, which then is accompanied by a fall in the price of gasoline, is considered a stimulus to the U.S. economy. And even though there are going to be people who are going to be put out of work in, you know, in a place like Texas, if we have a sustained drop in the price of oil, overall, there's still a lot of pockets in the economy that benefit um, from lower uh, energy prices. And of course, you and I, the consumer, benefit almost immediately. 
So the question is really going to be, you know, in the old days, I would have told you, geez, that we're getting to the end of the winter. Uh, gasoline prices could be low this summer. That's going to stimulate uh, people to go on holiday with their car, and that could be good for the economy. So the question really is going to be, what happens uh, with coronavirus? Do Americans, uh, uh, are, we, are we going to be do social distancing in May on Memorial Day, in which case uh, the lower oil price won't stimulate the economy? You know, I think the jury is still out. And so from the Trump administration point of view, you know, the question is, how will things play out? You know, lower gasoline prices for the whole summer could be good good for the sitting president um, because it helps everyone uh, in their daily lives. But the question is, if I'm losing my job because the economy has taken such a hit um, from social distancing, then the fact that gasoline prices are low is sort of a drop in the bucket for me. I, I, I have other concerns, bigger worries. Yeah, we got that big wild card, the coronavirus out there, and that is going to certainly drive things in the near future. Amy, thank you for taking the time to talk with us here on The Crisis Next Door. Thank you for having me. We've been joined by Amy Myers-Jaffe, David Rubenstein Senior Fellow for Energy and the Environment with the Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.